Bad at Parties is sponsored by Abbey Art Seattle and the Ballard Homestead, music, arts, and community events for people of all ages and incomes. With reoccurring events including the Moth Story Slam, Cathedrals, and The Round, there's always an event when you're in Seattle. Check out Abbey Art's online calendar for intimate performances by many of the artists featured on Bad at Parties. Learn more about this nonprofit organization and how you can attend, volunteer, and host events at fremontabbey.org. Hey gang, this is Andy Zook, and you're listening to Bad at Parties, one-on-one conversations with artists at the corner of the party. I cannot express how grateful I am for this week's guest. Marissa Janae came in right after a trip to Jamaica and was so present. I'm so thankful for what she had to share. For those of you who don't know, Marissa is an activist in Seattle. You may know her from seeing her take the microphone from Bernie Sanders when she and other members of Black Lives Matter protested his rally in Seattle. This was one of her most public demonstrations, but really just a snapshot into who this woman is and what she does. I'll let her speak for herself, but please note that the day after this podcast airs, November 29th, Marissa is launching a Black Activist subscription box. You can find out more about it at safetypinbox.com. In a nutshell, if you want to be an ally to your Black community in a real, meaningful way, this is a fantastic way to get started. That website is linked in the description to this podcast. Again, it is safetypinbox.com. You can find it there on our Facebook, Instagram. Check out any of those mediums and get involved. Here we go. Marissa. I'm extra. I'm So I just got back from Jamaica. So mm-hmm. it's like I've been falling asleep. Like Yeah, because your no body's problem. like. I have no concept of circadian rhythm. Everything's like off. Like nothing. So yeah. I traveled for 14 hours straight on Saturday from like... On Saturday? Yeah. So I my driver came and picked me up in Jamaica at 5.30 Eastern time. Yeah. Like Jamaica time, Eastern yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, I got into Seattle at 7.30 West Coast time. 7.45 West Coast time. 5.30 p.m., 7.30. 5.30 a.m. Tight. Which yeah. was really... 2.30. Yes. Mm. To 7.45. Yes. That's rad. And you know what's weird is I thought I would come straight home and go to sleep, and I got home, and I was just, like, kind of, like, happy to be home. Dude, it's the stupid joy. It's it was It's the second great. wind. It's the, like, I'm finally home. I have my own space. But then Sunday, sh- total shit show. <laughs> just I like, saw I was... you on Sunday. You did not look like somebody who had... Sl- <laughs> Flown for 17 hours. No, well, I, I got up, I was tired, I was like, cool, whatever, and then I had this presentation I had to do with this white church in U District, and mm-hmm. it was god-awful. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was like, I should have charged them more money, and oh, it was so bad. But, which they were like, oh, this is great, and I'm like, yeah, this is really horrible, and you guys are exhausting. But anyway, so I it's went tough. straight from that, got done at like 3.30, and I was like, these people don't wore me out. And I went home and I was like, let me just lay down in my bed for a while. And I was like out for like five hours. Woke up, ate dinner, went right back to sleep. What did you What did you talk with them about? Like what was the, I mean, you said like, this is going to be kind of seat of my pants. A little So, bit. I mean, I, which I'm like one of those people who's really good at actually <laughs> this is on the seat of my pants. But they wanted me to come in and talk about BLM mm-hmm. and like how they as a church could engage and whatever. They didn't give me a whole lot of guidelines, but sure. like, I thought they were one-on-one. So I was like, cool. Desire was there. Background of, yes, they specifically asked me to come That's in. They were paying me to come in. Good on them. Points. 
<laughs> so it's like cool. So I came in and it's all old white people. It's all really right. cool. But you guys asked me beer, so who knows? Maybe you guys are down. And I just gave them some background on myself and my politics. Gave them some basic one-on-one background BLM and sure. how to engage. And then we did Q and A, and it was people in their feelings. It was just a whole lot of white people who clearly never hang around any other people. So yeah. one one guy, one older man said, "You know, you came in here and you you talked about how you want to get rid of police and prisons, and that really turned me off. And if you would have just come in here." And instead, you know, told your story and made an emotional connection. At least you had that white guy to tell you how to do it next time. Yeah, and he said, if you would have come in and told me your personal story and had an emotional connection, then that's probably a better way to to win people over your cause. And I ripped him a new one. Good job. I absolutely ripped him a new one. Like, very. And it happens every time I go speak for Christians. Every time. Yeah. Is usually like my older white man, and I have to, like, they t- talk to me like I'm a kid, like there's misogyny and racism happening. Sure. So they talk to me like I'm a little kindergarten girl, mm-hmm. and so I ended up like I can't even be polite with them. And there's like reverse, be... is it would it be Jerryism or what? I don't know what it'd be called, but like ageism, like yes. going on where it's like, oh, you're young, some yeah, they're some like, oh, small little number. girl, yeah. and I'm like, listen, I've been doing this work, I'm credentialed, I'm sure. internationally credentialed, mm-hmm. like, don't play, but yeah, so I ripped him a new one, and then the woman who actually invited me, who was an older lady, she made a comment about the Seahawks, about Doug Baldwin and Richard Sherman, sure. and said, you know, all these other football players are, are, are sitting down and protesting, these guys instead, you know, they're trying to work with people mm-hmm. and have a, and and talk about it in a more open and receptive way. And I was like, that is an internal black conversation about how they've thrown people under the bus and you do not get to no. pick out the two black folks you like in position. No. And then there was another guy, a younger younger guy, so he was like maybe forty, early forties, who was responding to the first guy who told me I should basically be right. nicer. Yeah. And he said, you know, I appreciate you saying all that to him. This is all there in open Q&A. But, I mean, I, I you also, right, like you want dialogue. You mm-hmm. don't want us to be afraid to say anything, right? right? And I, and I, <laughs> I was like, um, first of all, I don't care about how you feel. No, this <laughs> isn't a dialogue. And I just want you to sit here and think about the fact that you're ta- what you're talking about when you talk about fear. Mm-hmm. Because right now we're talking about neo-Nazi KKK members mm-hmm. being appointed to the highest level of government, mm-hmm. a mu- Muslim registry that's currently in the works, while water protectors are getting abused on their indigenous land. Yeah. And you as a white man are saying you're afraid that maybe I might hurt your feelings. Not going to listen to it. And then he just shut up. And, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm... Like, I'm done with this. And they're like, well, oh. it's also like people coming into that place, like literally reaching out to you, inviting you into that place, and and like doing all of the things that they're like, oh, this looks like what I'm supposed to do. When in the end, what they really are trying to do is like, please affirm me. Please tell me that I'm already doing it right. Yeah. They, these aren't people trying to learn. Well, and that's what, and that's what I told them. I said, listen, you can take. And I was, did not pull no punches. I was like, listen, when the Lord brings you a word, you can take it and you mm-hmm. can receive it or you could not. That's between you and your maker. Mm-hmm. I don't have nothing to do with that. You invited me to be here. You can take what I say 
or you cannot. But trust, all of this work is going to happen with or without you. Right. And God's work is going to happen with or without you. And so you can choose to engage. You can choose to be re- receptive to the Spirit. Or you can choose to fade away in history. Right. Like, that's, you know, that is what it is. Yeah. And so, so it was there's just, some options for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to change, <laughs> I'm not going to change me and what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, at all. But yeah, it was amazing because I was like, wow, you called somebody in because you said, we don't have this perspective, we need perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you totally undermine that person's authority when I blew my mind. And so, and then of course, you know, it's over and I'm like trying to get out and so white people are coming up to me and like some of them are crying and they're like, oh, this is so powerful. And like, that's also emotional weight that I yes. have to carry, right? Like I'm just like having to carry everybody's emotions. Right. It's just like after this, when you're done, please say thank you and leave and just, and just you carry it. That's your job. Yeah. It's your job to sort through that. I presented this to you. That was me going out of my way. I, I'm not even here trying to say, like, where you come out after I'm done. Right. That's up to you. Right. It's up to me to say I will be present and I will be the same, even in this environment where it's not a bunch of people mm-hmm. that look like me, and I will be bold in that. Now, don't say, like, oh, I'm for the first time experiencing racism through you, and it, it breaks my heart. It's like, listen... I didn't want... That's not... This wasn't a play. No, it, it really was not. This it is not a play. It wasn't a show. And you just allowed other people to be abusive to me in a public yeah. space. Like, your tears don't mean anything to me. If you're not mm. even a lot able to keep me safe in the space, I was like, listen, give me my check. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get out of here. And next time, I just need to charge more because it was ridiculousness. But, it, yeah, it, it absolutely blows my mind how people will be like, you know, we don't have this perspective. We want you to come in. They will talk. Totally, utterly just undermine you yeah. the whole time. And I'm like, you guys are sitting here talking about, like, oh, you hurt my feelings. It's like, do you even understand what time we're in? The time for roundtables mm-hmm. and feelings. I told them that. That was years ago, maybe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're really past right. that point. So Like, it's not going to wait for you to catch up. These things are going to keep on happening. This is just happening actively and often and like where your conversation is at is like that's cute that you need time but in the meantime folks are dying yeah and like many people will not survive yeah i think i think what's coming times. hard in that too um is when when those folks are saying that in that space where they've invited you in um they're asking you to come in as a representative Mm-hmm. Uh, of a culture, and that's that's fine. You're trying to gain perspective, but um, to have the inability to see you as an individual person right. alongside that, to I think that if, the, if there was a a white male who came in and talked to them about different issues, they would have thoughts about what were the uh, the agendas that this fellow was bringing up, and then also what do we think about this person as an individual? Would I want right. them to come to dinner with right. me? Are they a good golfer? Like, right. they're not looking at you thinking, like, I wonder if she'd want to go grab lunch later. Like, it's and, just, right. this is an idea, this is a concept, and that's dehumanizing. And that's why you get questions like And the that. agenda thing is funny is because that guy had was upset because I said that I was a prison and police abolitionist and explained to them what that meant. Mm-hmm. And that was actually me disclosing my politics yeah. at the very beginning, being like, 
the, it, I didn't have to do that. No. I could have said everything that I, you know what I mean? So he was actually mad that I disclosed, that I was transparent about where I was politically. And I was very transparent of like, out of the spectrum of mainstream BLM, I'm, you know, probably representing the radical left on that. And both, just trying to be very transparent about where I'm coming. And that's what he was mad about. Yeah. I was blowing my mind. But anyway, so yeah. So then I just went home and I had a horrible headache from that. And yeah. I took a nap and I slept for hours. But I feel much better. Dude, today. you went from Jamaica to that. <sighs> I don't know why I scheduled it. I, I'm glad that I did it now because then it... I didn't have to spend any more time preparing on people who right. were, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you didn't have to, like, say, like, okay, I'm back home. I should put some hours. I should sit yeah, at the coffee no. shop. I should think about this. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like, no. I, no. It was, <laughs> let me get my money and keep on moving. Yeah. How long but, have you been doing this? Doing what? Speak, oh, that's so true. Uh, that specifically, <laughs> speaking at, like, events, talking with people, uh, specifically around, because I, I know that you are, like, the, you're technically the co-founder of the BLM chapter in Seattle? So there is no BLM chapter okay. in Seattle that, like, dis- dismantled or disbanded after the Bernie thing. It's a mm. long story. But there's different black orgs that do stuff in Seattle. Cool. So I'm not with the org anymore mm-hmm. um, for political reasons. But, um, no, I've done, like, various different speaking engagements and workshops and things like that yeah. over the past few years, both before the Bernie thing and after. Mm-hmm. It's something that I could probably do more of if I was intentional about, sure. like, marking myself or whatever. Right. It's but the business side of it. It's I easy to speak your opinion. It's hard to, you know, set an agenda yeah. and, like, do emails. Yeah, and I've just felt weird about it, which I need to, like, I need to not. That's why I've, like, f- focused more on writing. Mm-hmm. But I do need to, to do more of that stuff. But it's just like, yeah, that's... It's it's draining. So yeah, this was somebody who had asked me, who had contacted me and asked me to come in and mm-hmm. talk about it. And I said sure, even though I try not to. This is exactly why I try not to speak to sure. specifically Christian groups because it's just it's really yeah. I I definitely <laughs> like I think uh. so often I see people having the the wrong conversation, which is. After that, people think, well, what do, you, what do you want these people to come away with? And I think that the reason that's the wrong conversation is because I feel like the right conversation is you as an artist, as a speaker, as a, an individual, like coming into the space and saying, whether this is a safe space for me or not, this is me creating my artistic element, this is me creating my truth in this space. And then when I leave... Uh, what you're going to do with that is up to you. Right. Um, and I I don't know. I think that it's as much as like, yeah, it's draining. It's hard. It totally makes sense that why you would continue to do it, though, because like it feels like a truth. It feels like an artistic element that is just like, shit, I have to do this. Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the, that's the difficult thing, too, is... Um, yeah, it's mind-blowing that people treat me that way in that space because it's like, uh, it's kind of like, you know how, I feel like politics and theology are the two things that people have no information on and sure. yet everybody thinks that they're entitled to the like correct totally. opinion and it's yeah. just, and I'm doing things with theology and politics and it's not just like, oh, these are all my opinions, it's like, okay, I actually have a background academically in both of these areas. Mm. In theory, I specifically write and 
and like right on a national level and you know what I mean mm-hmm. like expertise doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. in realms where people are just like well, these are my feelings yeah. like <laughs> I'm just like okay well it's a really good you know what I mean like that's cool you yeah. can have feelings but they're like I, I, but they don't matter to no, the person. Like, you know facts I mean? are really cool, too. Facts are, like, like so cool. Right, which yeah. doesn't mean that you won't have different opinions, but it's just, like, if I'm engaging, you know, a subject that I don't know and somebody else has, even if I disagree with him, has an extensive background mm-hmm. in doing that work and in knowing those theories and engaging, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, I'm going to be, like... Let me wait a second. But I was, yeah, I was at um, so there was not a protest. There was a gathering up on Capitol Hill at Cal Anderson. I think that was the Saturday after the election, mm-hmm. um, and I joined in that just to see what would happen. Because have you ever was, been to a protest before? Uh, no, I mean I was. I've been around a lot of protests, like on accident. <laughs> but this was like my first. Like, damn, I can't not do this anymore. Right. This is dumb. I have to show up to this. So it was the first available one. And I was like, this is clearly not a protest, but um, step one, right? show up. So went to that, and uh, eventually after people did, like, it was supposed to be a conversation space, and there was clearly no organization, um, and, like, <laughs> people were trying to be creative, um, and they were singing the worst choices in songs. People were singing, like, Amazing Grace, in, like, this group event, which was supposed to be, like, everyone come, and then they're singing the songs of the people who largely voted in opposition to what most of them are standing for. And then, like, they sang, like, um, uh, Let It Be by the Beatles, and then immediately when they stopped, people started chanting, Don't Let It Be, and I was like, yeah, that's why you don't (laughs) sing that song. This is clearly the wrong song to sing. Dude, I wonder who was behind that. Dude, I think it was just somebody. I think it. I don't think it was. A, it was not a planned event. People it was get really Facebook reactionary in get, these in these yeah. times. Yeah. No, I'm, I was just curious if you had any interactions with the police because that'll definitely. No. So um, I what I did was afterwards they they eventually hit this point where um, there was a woman who was black who was well spoken who was talking and people started paying more and more attention to her. She slowly got a microphone. She or a megaphone. She was talking. Was she and, young, like college age? No, she was probably in her. 30s. That's my guess. Mm, okay, never mind. I, I wish I knew who it was, but um, I don't. And she was talking, and she kept on being like, people would like say something back to her. She would say a fact, and she would stop, and she would turn to this other guy who was with her, and he would talk to her, and every now and then she'd be like, he's a historian. I don't actually know the answers to some of the shit you're saying, so I have to check. And I was just like, I like that. I deeply respect that. Obviously, I don't know if he's actually a historian, right. but simply, like, <laughs> the concept of that, I, I, like, I approved of. So, it turned into a march, marched down to a little intersection, and then it held there, and it circled up. Um, but I just, like, and I joined in all of this just to be, like, be present, be here, like, see this through. And I got to it, and, it, like, just looking for anybody, like, what are we doing here? Does anybody have, like, a stance, or is this just, we're all mad right. and, like trying something and it was we're all mad and trying something (laughs) and so I just like peaced out because I was just like this is nothing this isn't there's no creativity in this there's no good organization in this and I want to like I would be down to be right here but like I don't know what my skin is in this game right now for and I just 
I don't know. And I would love to hear if you think like, no, no, you should have stuck around. But I just was like, no, this doesn't, this isn't going right. Right. Mm, yeah, there's a lot of factors. I don't know if any of this is stuff that you want to <laughs> I'm like, happy report. to, this is just, I mean, this is you and me talking. If I would talk about it with you, here, okay. I would talk about it on the podcast. And if I get embarrassed, that's okay. Okay. I'll um, up to it later. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on a lot of things. Like, obviously, I mean, there could be somebody totally, people who are totally whack running events, and then, you know, it's just whack. I don't think it's true that you have to follow people who are bad leaders. Mm -mm. But I also think, um, and I think with the whole Trump thing, it's very reactionary, right, and not... Not something that coalesced around specific identity, and so whereas, like... The black organizing that I got into in Seattle was definitely reactionary mm-hmm. after um, a lot of the shootings. non-indictment and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was reactionary, but centered on very specific like identity of blackness and Absolutely. a very specific issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas like all the people, who, all the diversity of people who can be against Trump and for different reasons is sure. like. You could, you could be against him because your team lost. You can be against yeah. him for the same reason that you're against the like Patriots, you've got, you know? You've got white supremacist <laughs> Democrat. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so you're mixing a lot of identities, so that mm-hmm. makes it harder to focus. Um, when we were doing BLM stuff, it was, like, it was basically warfare with the police, and, like, police were very clearly the enemy, so there was no confusion. Um, but then I also think that at least, like, protests and marches and stuff like that like I don't really do that work anymore but mm-hmm. I understand its importance in certain realms yeah. to get people engaged and I think at least with black folks um a lot of times it's like okay what's the five point plan that's coming from this and it's like honestly like resistance in any form mm-hmm. or even just the collective experience of being able to heal and process and Absolutely. fight back in any way sure. is actually really really useful mm-hmm. and a thing that I don't think that people talk about that like um, regardless of the policy change you know there are no policy changes or whatever I'm encouraged by people quote unquote protesting Trump. Because it's a it's a way of fighting against this normalization yeah. of a Trump presidency that, that exactly. happens. And mm-hmm. I do think it can be a useful place for people to, like, be able to keep resistance. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, get alive. mad, stay mad, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when that gets covered by the media, which is why the creativity is different. Mm-hmm. If that gets covered by the media, you're, you, you now have a platform. So exactly. I think people should think about... That in terms of platform, and then the reason why I asked if you had an interaction with the police is because if you had been at any of the BLM protests and you had interactions with the police, it's not that you would have um, been like, oh, I know what the steps are from this, but you would have been very impa- very differently impacted sure. like in your views because mm-hmm. white folks that I've noticed who go out and uh, are part of like black marches and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they you're, like, black by proximity, so you Hmm. receive all the violence from the police, and at least for all the people that I know who have done that, participate in that with me, that's been a... That's been a life-changing experience for them in the ways that they view the police and the problem or whatever in ways that they can't go back. Hmm. So that's why I was curious. But if you didn't have any... No, and I don't think that the experience would have been that 
due to the lack of diversity in that march. See, yeah, and if yeah, it's a, just it a bunch never, of white people coalescing under, of, like, yeah, we we all hate Trump. Sure, a bunch of people like trying to take up as much space as possible, trying to be like, we have to block all the lanes of traffic. Why? Right. Why do you have to block all the lanes of traffic? <laughs> Which I'm not above. I think no, totally. If you've off. got a good reason, right. if if once you've got the attention, you have a reason for having that attention. You've got a good thing to say, and it's meaningful or something. And I'm not saying like you have to have it spelled out and right. it has to be an essay. And I'm also not going to be the person who's going to say like I have to understand that message. Right. You know. So like more effective, and what I think will be required in other groups have already been doing more effective anti-Trump protests will be, like, blocking deportations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, that's going to be... And that's kind of what I told this group. That is not kind of. That is what I told this group um, that I met with yesterday. That was, like, the question you need to be asking yourself in these moments is, are you going to hide people in your home illegally mm-hmm. yeah. to protect them from deportation? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to help pr- protect people who are in a Muslim registry right. when you're in a position, which we've been in this position for a long time, but now it's explicit when you're in a position mm. where the state is openly, you know, sided with, yeah. with evil. Yeah. That means <laughs> you're going to, if you're going to fight against evil, you're going to break the law. Are you mm-hmm. willing to do that? Sure. That's like where it's at. And mm-hmm. if you're not, that's cool. You can deal with that with Jesus, but like... Mm-hmm. Don't quote Bon, you know what I mean? Like, don't quote Bonhoeffer, <laughs> yeah, um, or nothing like that. So, like, even after church, like, I just sat in the back row <laughs> with Paul, and we were just talking for a while, and then I dipped out because I didn't want to talk to anybody. No. But, <laughs> but I just like that's my biggest frustration with Christians is I'm like, wow, y'all really hella appropriate mm-hmm. revolutionary figures and Christian. Yeah, well, what's for the, as much I mean, as I've heard about Diedrich fucking Bonhoeffer <laughs> in these Christian spaces, sure. The fact that everybody, not even just now, but has been in this moment, is waking up and doesn't understand the the level of urgency and mm-hmm. what's going to be required of them. And, like, if you did a survey right now, like, even at our church, right, and you're like, okay, all these people are going to get deported, who's willing to hide them in our, their house when ICE is doing raids? Right. People will be like, well, I'm not going to break, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. So the disconnect for yeah. me is well, really we'll, hard. We'll, yeah, that, I mean, I think about so many, so many like people I know that are very much on the like, well, well, you know, God's on the throne. If they are from that Christian perspective, right. and they are thinking that, they're like, well, God's the one in charge, so I can trust the the government because God's in control of that, and even if it's in their hands, like it'll get taken care of. And it's just like, listen. That's fine, but don't talk about MLK, don't talk about Diedrich, don't talk about Paul. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. niggas really had to be out here doing some illegal ass shit to, yeah. like, be with... Right, you and know I think I mean? it's, isn't it MLK that? who's, like, got the, the... Who has that quote saying, like, that the the biggest, like... Uh, I, um, I'm not going to quote him well at all. <laughs> but the, the idea, the concept being that, like, it's people who are trying to uphold normalcy yes that are a greater threat right to to the black lives in that right. community greater than the kkk it is an issue and my thing is like i would just rather you just say you don't care mm-hmm. like we don't need to write no wow. shit on birds yeah. and hang it up we don't need to do, you know what i mean like no shade but shade like yeah i'm like do y'all even know about do y'all even know about the fact that haitian like 
people who are coming showing up at the border in San Diego right now are being mass deported yeah. for the first time in six. No, yeah, I don't. Okay, cool. You know, like yeah. I mean, which is crazy. My my sister was working down in Haiti during the earthquake, and she had to get airlifted out, and like we were just she's in American. the. Yeah, no, I mean, we, but she was American, so she got airlifted yeah. out, and then slowly we saw people trickling in, and, like, we, like, she went back, we had to, like, help, like, she was, like, helping out with this woman who had, like, lived with her for a long time, whose, like, husband had passed away, and now she was, like, in the same building that she had had collapse on her, her, this husband had died, and now, like, I mean, you hear so much about, like, people like that. It's like, oh, yeah, people are doing all these things to Haiti. But it's like, are you well-connected? Are you getting, like, this war? Like, do you know Do you know white people? Do you know rich white people? Because then you get the money. And if you don't, and if you're living on the outskirts of town, right. you're not seeing any of that, like, donation money. Like, that's going to organizations. Or the, yeah, or the fact, like, the, the Haitians that are getting turned away at the U.S. border right now are refugees from the 2010 earthquake who are living in Brazil. Hmm. And then Brazil's economy collapsed yeah. last spring. And so thousands Thanks of Haitians <laughs> have been showing up yeah. at the San Diego border, right? Mm. And I'm writing a piece on this, so that's what I did. Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> but so they had an uptick starting in last May. And so thousands of Haitians have been showing up at the San Diego border. And up until that point since the, the um, 2010 earthquake, Haitians who came to the U.S., were granted, generally, unless they were, like, criminals or whatever. Sure. Um, they were granted what's called humanitarian parole, which would me- meant that the government, the U.S. government would give them, uh, like, a temporary social security number and t- mm-hmm. temporary work visa mm-hmm. until they could, like, figure something else out. So all these Haitians are coming expecting to be let into the U.S. Even when they were let into the U.S., there were no services for them, for them getting from San Diego to where their relatives were, like, East Coast or whatever. Yeah. So you had a situation where hundreds of Haitians are sleeping on the streets every night because they're just dropped off by ICE, even once they have, you know, humanitarian parole, they're dropped off by ICE, and they don't have any money, they don't speak the language, like, nothing. And there was only one church in all of San Diego that was taking people in for the longest time, right? Other churches wouldn't take people in. They were like, we will give money, but we don't want those people in our in our building, right? So it was, like, one small church who was, like, housing these people, trying to house people um, until, like, they were able to get, contact their families and get a plane ticket and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, get out. But this church was, like, super overwhelmed, and so they ended up having to shut their doors. And when they did that, then the Port Authority and the National Guard came in. They said, oh, we'll help you. Like, this is a crisis. We don't want thousands of more Haitians on the streets of downtown San Diego. That's not good. So they came in and helped the church out for like a week. And then we're out again. Yeah. And we then, did it. Yeah. We, hey. hey. Did our thing. And then on September 22nd, the Department of Homeland Security put out a decree and said, hey, um, from this point on, any Haitians who um, show up at the border will be given deportation orders. They will not be given humanitarian parole. Um, and so what that means is everybody who is already on their way to the border or whatever, instead of getting let in, they were given deportation orders, which means that they were put into detention centers, for-profit detention centers, which are basically jails. That yeah, it's like, work prisons. Yeah. yeah, it's like $90 a night that we pay for, for these people, mm-hmm. and they'd be there indefinitely because you can only deport people back to their country when their country is receiving them, right? So the U.S. government, previous to the most recent hurricanes, had worked out an agreement with Haiti that they could receive 50 Haitian deportees a month this was before the hurricane 
So now you just have thousands of Haitians. Now there's not enough space for them in detention centers near San Diego because there's all other people coming through the border. Sure. So they've started shipping Haitians to all these detention centers all over the U.S. Literally to be there indefinitely until they can be flown back to Haiti and when Haiti can receive them. It's so bad. It's oh my so fucking god! <laughs> Sorry, that's like, okay. no, like I'm that kind of stuff. So huh. it's like people don't understand the 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 massive level, the massive level, because that is a a pinprick of an of a, of an idea. That's such mm-hmm. like a, a minute thing. It's massive. It's infrastructural. There's like to to stop that, to break that down, to fix that, could take years, if not decades, if not ever. Yeah, there's like, and people then who have that is kids. a that is a that is a drop in the bucket. Well, and you know the travel from Brazil to the United States and through Tijuana, it's like people have been sure. robbed, raped. Yeah. women are coming over newly pregnant. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of issues. Of course. So yeah, I'm just like I feel like I'm just like really done with folks like in general because I don't know I just see where we're at and what's happening is so dire and I feel like the the Christian call is like pretty explicit like there's not really and yet like folks are just like like so wed to their position on the world yeah that nobody is willing to sacrifice at any <laughs> serious levels not and not, and not even collectively to like really humble themselves and make a difference. So, I don't know. I was telling Paul, like, the one thing that I've been convicted about since this election happened is that the next several years to decades are going to be very, very difficult. And not everybody's going to make it. But one thing that will happen is everybody will be tested and everybody will be seen for who they really are. Mm -hmm. And some people will rise to the occasion. And a lot of people will fail. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like me, I've had just like a scary sense of calm since the election. Sure. While everybody's been freaking out. Like the, like, I was telling my friend Aja, it's like the kind of calm that I feel when a flashbang grenade is <laughs> dropped next to me from the police or whatever. Right. Or like. That super relatable thing that so many people <laughs> listening to this podcast well, can right? really connect to it. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> yeah. it was like, it was like. That's a real thing she under, for you. She understood. Or, yeah, you know, like, sure. the, the feeling that yeah. you get when, um, so when we're in an action, right, yeah. or in a protest or whatever, we're often, if you're somebody like me or my friend Asha or whatever, we're like, we would be like the leaders in mm-hmm. space. And as leaders, um, our job is not only to direct people and to try to create a sort of political theater that gets our messaging across, mm-hmm. but... Our responsibility is literally to help keep everyone safe. Yeah. And so is that what that means is, like, I've had police officers pick me up and throw me against a van and choke me or whatever. And that moment, you're, like, so disembodied from mm. even, like, your own needs because you're just, like... you. Is just, this happening to anyone else? Is that what's everybody else at? Like, is this... Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, like, once you're past it, you just keep moving. Yeah. And you're... Because there's just so much adrenaline when you're in an emergency state. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the calm that I feel now is, like, this scary calm mm-hmm. where I'm, like, I'm at peace because I'm my soul is, like, 
enter this new state of readiness sure. for whatever's next. Sure. I, I guess, like, the big question in that, like, looking at, okay, so there's these big concepts, there's all these people, then there's Rissa, one human being who's experiencing that stuff. Like, um, I won't even say post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm going to say just, like, traumatic stress <laughs> disorder. Like, these things are not post. Right. This is happening. Um, how are you taking care of, I mean, Jamaica, Woot, I'm sure that there was also real talk there, and that it's not a total escape. Right. Um, but how are you feeding yourself back? How are you saying, like, because I'm, I'm, the human body isn't going to sustain right. at some point. Right. How are you recharging? How are you, you healing yourself, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think... I think a part of it has been, that's been really helpful for me, um, has been specifically to to be more embodied and in touch with my body and mm. basics of like eating and yeah. meditating yeah. and sleeping when I can. And um, But then I also, you know, honestly, um, I felt like for a long time, even before these times, for, for a long time since I was a little girl... Like, there was always this weird, like, sense of martyrdom. Like, Joan of Arc was my favorite. Sure. <laughs> it was, like, my favorite person coming up, which is super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and even throughout college, just felt these, like, I wasn't sure what, but I just felt, would feel like this overwhelming sense of, like, something is coming that will require, like, a lot of sacrifice of me or whatever. And then, sort of, I did my BLM work, and that culminated. And I thought, woo, that was a lot. That was a lot of sacrifice. I'm glad yeah. I'm done with it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm done with that. Yeah. Um, but didn't quite know what was next, and it wasn't until it wasn't until this election um, that I felt again like, oh no, actually, there's still more for sure. you to do. Um, and so, I think I think for me, it's just understanding that this comes in a, a long line of what I feel like God has been preparing me for and recognizing that I don't know, I don't know where that ends, right? Mm. Like, I don't know what, what that ends, but, um, it feels, it feels right and it feels appropriate. And so I'm mostly right now, like in terms of taking care of myself is just trying to prepare myself to be in the best shape that I can for whatever's coming. Sure. Um, because I do feel very strongly that something is coming for us, but for myself in particular. Um, yeah. And so part of what that'll look like is taking care of myself bodily. Mm -hmm. Part of what that looks like is, um, having a tight grip around the things that influence me. Right. So So when I started doing BLM work, there was a great purge of people who were really present in my life and then who weren't. Yeah. Um, and that will probably happen. Will, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more and more that you say, hey, this is controversial. This is not easy to hear. People are like, I like my easy to hear shit. Right. I'm going to peace out. Yeah. Right. And that's always really, um, really painful and difficult. But I am encouraged by seeing, like, the strides that people make um, in, in the movements that we're in. Hmm. I'm encouraged by... Um, 
just reflecting, there's a lot going on right now of just reflecting on sort of what our ancestors went through, you know, like the fact that we survive and exist at all yeah. is like so tremendous um, and that's really empowering. And, and then like even when I was in Jamaica, mm-hmm. I realized this is important to me, like talking to... You posted this thing about Facebook yeah. about these people that you were chatting with. Talking like, to, yeah, I was talking to a Haitian Canadian yeah. and a Jamaican man about everything that was going on and it was kind of, I realized it's super important for me and other people to be in conversation with people from the African diaspora around the globe mm. because we're all dealing with the same thing. Sure, this is not a national issue. No, it's no. a global issue because it's about colonialism mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. And so, but that's really, um, at least for me, it's encouraging to know that I'm a part of a, of a much larger struggle where people are resisting across the globe. And that was kind of one of the cool things about you know, the Bernie action or whatever for as controversial it was, is it was like there were people in Ghana who were, mm-hmm. like, encouraged by the work that we did. There were Aboriginal people in Australia mm-hmm. who know my work and my name. And it's just like... So I think, for me, part of it is being encouraged that the work that I do has the potential to be far-reaching and meaningful for, for people. And I feel that way about, like the writing that I'm doing right now. Like, every time that I find somebody who's, like, particularly people who I fault, black people and people who I respect that, like, are really um, being fed by my work, it's Mm. like, okay, then you have to continue. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, like... um, yeah, it's funny, like, black folks don't really give us, get a space to, like, survive or heal while you're in the midst of all this. So, but I, I think I'm, I'm digging deeper into community, um, specifically with black women. Hmm. And I think I'm re- requiring more out of white people who are going to have any proximity to sure. me. Um, and, yeah, and then, and then trying to, to be um, selfish in certain ways because part of what it means to be socialized as a black woman is that you're always giving and you're always caring. You're always giving to everybody else. You're always carrying the emotional load for everybody else. You're always putting everybody else's feelings before yourself. You're always putting everybody else's sustainability before yourself. Um, And so I've had to like intentionally try to figure out how to be quote-unquote more selfish or like concerned about myself and prioritizing myself mm-hmm. even just to like <laughs> even um so that's been really important but yeah I'm grounded by the fact that like I have to be my the best self that I can make myself under these conditions Absolutely. in order to be able to do the best work that God is calling me to, and I don't know how far, right? Like yeah. I don't know how far no, that will take. No, but me. it's it's your it's it's athletic. It's saying I know there's a marathon. I know right. that I gotta push hard. Right. I have no idea how hard I'm gonna push, so I better like continue seeing how far I can go. Right. Like continue seeing like preparing myself and preparing preparing myself because I don't want to hit the breaking point mm-hmm. and realize oh that's the breaking point. Right. You know? Yeah, and. Yeah, I'll continue to get pushed. So yeah, I I mean it was it was I feel like God's giving me moments of clarity, mm-hmm. particularly when I'm like experiencing a lot of trauma or whatever, 
Um, like, God gave me a specific verse the day after the burning thing when I was feeling a lot of people's guilt and a lot of people's, like, uh, sort of, like, at the time, my reputation was totally being maligned and I was internalizing some of that stuff. Sure. And the Lord gave me, like, a verse for that moment. And so, like, yeah, when the election happened, I, <laughs> I woke up, had not been thinking about this before, I woke up. And the word that the Lord had for me was Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And I was like, okay, that's what time it is. Mm. So I don't know what that means, sure. but I know I know how that ends, right? Yeah. And um, for me, it's, it's a spiritual practice to engage that story and to prepare myself to... to to follow through on what God calls me to, to its fullest extent. Yeah, I mean, you talked about that sense of calm earlier. And I think so much of that sense of calm comes from a willingness to say, like, the tree is rotten, let's cut it down. Like, it comes from that place of, like, saying, like, this is, like, I've got to, to be willing to deeply invest in letting things that are comfortable, that are nice, that, like, I do have things that I enjoy of this, but when it's so deeply infected, I have to say, like, I'm, I'm, where am I willing to go? What am I willing to do? Right. Um, constantly challenging yourself to not take an easy answer to that because those e- answers are complicated. And if they're easy, right. you're probably, you've probably gone too far and you're probably right. a little fucked up right now. <laughs> but, right. like, um, I think that, um, you know, so much of that is, like, something that I, as a white person and as, like, and have been in, like, the conversations I'm having with white people is similar to what you're talking about, that idea of, like, are you willing to, if there's a Muslim registry, are you willing to house these people? What are you willing to let in your life lose of its comfortableness? What are you allowing of this societal comfort that you have disappear? And when you start to come to the place where you have an answer to that, even before it's there, then you're saying, like, so if I lose that, I've already prepared myself emotionally. Right. I am preparing myself right. to give up some of this stuff. Right. And yeah. it's even more than comfort. It's literally yeah. safety. Your yeah. your life. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not only convicted about that like because of the history of black liberation that has been the cost for many people. Mm-hmm. But like I the scriptures don't really <laughs> you know, and I mean like all of the all of the um figureheads that we really respect in the scriptures including Christ himself it's like they talked frequently about being willing to pay the ultimate cost and I feel like you know a lot of times these things have just become like sound bites and sermon series for us you know yeah and I'm I'm like so I have a lot of funny views about Christianity and stuff but I would still call myself like I would say my first language is Christianity and if like my parents are like you're Christian I'm probably like yeah, I would get let's there. Just have I would say, it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep eating potatoes. But I mean, I still very much something I do hold very true is that like um, this concept of a messiah, that's been taken care of. That was done. It was done really well, and I I, I like that. And I I think that the now the concept is saying when everyone is willing to be the martyr, then no one is. When everyone is willing to do that, then you have mm-hmm. Sabbath in its truest form, right. where we are all giving up a percent. We are all giving up one day. And that way, you rally together. You say, in our mass numbers, we no longer have to find out who is the person that's going to die for all of us. Right. We're all in this. We're right. all giving in equal parts. And that's how collective resistance works, I mm-hmm. mean, is that 
is that people are willing to join together. Um, the issue that it is right now in our current political scheme is people will not rally if they have investment in the current system. Sure. And so if you give people just enough, just a kernel enough, that they're unwilling to lose, then you won't have collective resistance. And so, I mean, ideally I would love, <laughs> you know, a love of yeah. a, a, a world where that collective resistance could happen right. on a large scale, but it won't because, um, because a lot of people, a lot of people, particularly white people benefit, like they, like white people hold onto the system because they like they benefit from it. Absolutely. They're invested in it. Well, and, and if it, you, and yeah. if you tear down that system, yeah. I might not have my, the things that I covet, you know? Sure. And it's hierarchical in that it's the, well, I don't want you to be there but I don't want to go to where you are either. Right. Like, I'm not willing to get into the dirt to pick you up. Right. You know? And, and, yeah. Yeah, and I just have a theory that, you know, a lot of times, I don't think that people, a lot of times, lead with their morals. Mm-hmm. I think that we create the life that we want, and then we moralize it later. Oh, so true. You know? Um, and it's really hard to be principled. I mean, for myself included... But a lot of people are just, like, not even willing to <laughs> explore those questions. Like, unfortunately, like, a lot of people are just not even willing to explore mm. those questions or really press themselves. But I do think that, like, this work of emptying, emptying myself and mm. preparing myself and learning and being receptive is the path to holiness. Like, that's, mm. it's not just self-preservation. Nope. For me, but it's like I think that this work is. I think that this work is, is the discipleship work is the mm-hmm. the path to holiness for us. So, yeah, like really, my spiritual grounding is like my grounding for my work. Yeah, and I see it in your art, and I mean, as much as there is that, like that, uh, this conversation about like these this incredible hardship and this incredible demand that is upon you, and like the what can feel like a lack of hope. I read the piece that you wrote that was like the immediate after election. It was a, the bedtime story one. What was it oh, called? Yeah, was that it I, oh, it was like a, yeah, uh, it was like a, I could tell you a bedtime story or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they wrote the tagline for it. I didn't write okay. the tagline for it. But yeah, it was basically a fairy tale. And this was before the election. Oh, so was it? So it, it was a, yeah, I wrote it before the election. It was published the morning of... Mm. Bef- before, like the Tuesday morning. Okay, I was gonna say something, but now <laughs> let me say this: Would you have written the same article? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it. I I feel like I would have changed a couple of things because even in that article, I was sort of pre presupposing a Hillary win and sure. people falling asleep. Sure. But the main tenets of of what I wrote, I feel, yeah, I still feel like are spot on of yeah. like people not falling into sleepiness. No, and I found. Like, I was like, I read that title, which they had given it, and I, and I like, read the first little lines, and I was like, okay, here comes the SmackDown, it's going to be intense, and it was beautiful. It was so beautiful, so poetic, so moving, so hopeful, challenging in, in what it was saying still, in, like, what it was alluding to, but, like, it was graceful, it was elegant, I loved it. It was so, so, I really liked it. I don't always yell at people. <laughs> No, I, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I know that. And I'm not trying to cast the stereotype of angry black woman on you. What I'm trying to say is, no, it was as a, an it individual was and as a writer, I was just like, yeah. this was 
so powerfully done. And I was, I was amazed by that. Yeah, so they asked me to write something on the election. And I was like, cool. And I was like, this pe- there's been so much written and so many hot takes and so much. Cause, sure. And I've been part of that, you know? Sure. Like, there's been so much of that. I don't feel like people will be responsive. So it's I just, a deep well to draw from. So I just sat <laughs> down and was like... I'm going to write something for me, whether anybody (laughs) reads it or not. And so that's kind of where I started off with was like, yeah, I just started writing and started thinking of like the stories we tell ourselves. Right. And and wanted to wanted to write it in such a way. I feel like one of my greatest gifts in this moment is around language and being able to manipulate language and like implode language to not get trapped because um that's the biggest way that people lose a lot of these like political or ideological battles is you let you let the person who opposes you set all of the terms all of the language and then you get trapped inside of it Mm -hmm. um and so for that piece in particular one of the things i was thinking about is how do I write this in a way that it's clear what I'm saying? Yeah. But people can't, but you can't like, you can't actually be mad, right? It doesn't like. I mean, that's the beauty of art is it, you can't pull a quote. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah. make it Facebook. You have to read the whole yeah. thing. And that's what I wanted it to be was to be clear about where I stood, but, but sort of um, disabling in a way that people couldn't. It did, like that piece, it would feel weird for somebody to be respond. Are you saying my vote doesn't count? Like, that would be a weird yeah, response. Yeah, it'd be like, be you so didn't weird. read this, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be a simple thing to just be like, you know, I wanted you to, to sort of draw people, yeah, with that piece in particular, I just wanted to sort of draw people through it and recognizing. So, like, my one of my favorite comedians is Dave Chappelle, and I always say, sure. I want to do, you know, all my work, like how he does comedy. Yeah. Oh but part of how he does is he's like, pulls you into something gets you joking and laughing right. so that by the and then by the end you realize that you've affirmed all of these things just by laughing whereas if he came out and said sure he so and so is racist you know whatever you he's do, not you moving you straight from he's not trying to move you from like opposition mm-hmm. to on the same side as me he's gonna <laughs> trick you I, I was talking about this with a buddy of mine but like you can't be laughing and like mad or angry at the same mm-hmm. time like if you're laughing like that, uh, I was talking about this with Josh Phillips, who you know, and he mm. was on the podcast right before you. So um, he, it's like that idea of that sense of laughter is where you're thinking about articulate ideas on one side of your brain, and then you're thinking like about art, you're thinking mm-hmm. about laughter, you're feeling emotions, and those that thought, it's taking trips back and forth and back yeah. and forth inside of your brain. And that's where synapses make connections, that's where you start saying like, Oh, I've let it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I laughed. Shit. I oh, they got me a little. Right. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so that <laughs> I sat down. and I was like, this is a weird. This is not normal. You know, what I mean, this yeah. is kind of a divergence for what people explain expect me to do, and certainly what my editor expected me to do in terms of like, here's my analysis sure. and breakdown. It was just yeah. So it was sort of a plea and. But it's funny because I wrote that and was like, this is, I literally sent it to my editor and was like, this is weird. I don't like, I know this is not what you're looking for. Like, if you don't want it, that's totally fine. But this is like all I have for you. And they were like, it was great. Yeah. It was super different. It was really cool. And then after the election, I was like, no, this actually really stands. Um, And so, yeah, I feel like. Bigger things than you sometimes, you know? Yeah, definitely. But I, yeah, so that's, I mean, I think 
that that's part of my work is like is artistry and is trying to figure out ways to move people through it. Have you have you listened to the? I I think I talked to you once about this before, but have you listened to Two Dope Queens? Yes. Yes, dude. Oh, Jessica Williams, Phoebe Robinson, like their stuff. Like when they did the immediate post election thing, they were like, okay, so obviously we're feeling a lot of stuff. We're not going to talk about this all podcast. But, like, tons of times, it's, like, coming up. Tons right. of times. But you're laughing at that point. If they just, like, came into it and were like, we're not going to do jokes because we're mad, then it would have been, like, everyone been, like, next episode. Right. And they would have skipped it. But, no, people are laughing. People are, like, fucking thinking about this shit. People in the crowds who are, like, apathetic are, are learning. Right. And, uh, well, and part of my background, too, is I've always studied, like, been doing really heady stuff, like, even mm-hmm. in school, like, studying theology and philosophy while I was doing children's work. Right. So as a children's minister during pretty much all of that time, drama teacher, mm-hmm. I work with kids now. Um, did and you do drama? I was a drama teacher, and I did drama before, yeah. yeah. I guess, like, That's in cool. high school and college. That totally makes sense. I can totally see that. It's totally unsurprising. <laughs> this is totally Theater, sense. cheer, public speaking, all of the above. Cheer. Yes, indeed. Cheer. Yes. Nice. Yes. Heather yeah. did cheer a little bit. Like, it's a family thing. My dad was a cheerleader. My dad was a cheerleader. A yellman. I don't think he was a yellman at that time. He just got to be a cheerleader. He he was he was with it. That's but cool. <laughs> wait. Oh yeah. So no. Um. So when doing heady really, stuff yeah, and yeah, then working with stuff. kids at the same time has been good for me. In that, um, like people get trapped in either one. They either get trapped in the pragmatism of stuff sure. and trying to make simplify. Or they get trapped all in the theory and it's not connected to anything you do. But working with kids and doing high-level theory stuff has made it, has sharpened my work in a way where everything that I'm talking about has to be able to be boiled down to some basics. Sure. But then also being able to reverse engineer that and say, okay, because of that action you just took, here's all the things that you're saying you believe in that, in that action. Yeah, it's about constantly, can you constantly macroscopic, microscopic, macro, like just shifting back and forth right. on your perspectives. And yeah. that that's how you like engage people and, and help people learn. And so that'll happen in a lot of different ways. Like sure. people don't understand even when I'm, if I'm being rude or I'm yelling at you, the yelling is part of the lesson. <laughs> yeah, totally. How many times did you really, really learn something from somebody who told you at the beginning, you're about to learn something? Like... When does that happen? Right. No, it be, it happens when you afterwards you're like, holy shit, that totally clicked with me. I did not see that coming. Right. Yeah. And a lot of my experience has been that people, yeah, people who who have strong responses, they'll come to me nine months, a year, two years later, and be like, oh, actually, that thing that you, like, you really influenced me. I'm like, well, great. Thank yeah. you for supporting me now. Too. Yeah. <laughs> after after not. You got there. <laughs> The things you said in response were super damaging to me. So I gave you something, you gave me less. It's an exchange, but now we're here and... That's how it is. It's a good thing I got some grace. Yeah, Yeah. so I just, I think about my work very dynamically and very artistically and and try to employ um, new and different tactics to, you know, help push along my agenda and what I believe my role is in all this work. And the biggest thing has been, like, really a death to a self in certain ways and, like, other people's views of me, obviously, because mm-hmm. the work that I do is not, res- like, I've, ha- I've had to totally do away with being respectable sure. 
or caring about what people, whether people think I'm a nice person or sure. not, or all those kinds of. I mean, everybody. Things. I mean, this this alone, like putting this out here, like a lot of the times for me is like. Yep, my mom listens to every episode, and I'll talk about some like stuff that I'm very nervous to talk about, and I'm like, well. Let this deepen our relationship. Right. Let us grow from this together. Hey, mom, thanks for listening to this episode. You're so <laughs> You're a future ghost. You're great. So yeah, that's I mean that's how I think about my work. But I do I do have hope for yeah. you know with all the heavy stuff and stuff like I've also seen um, transformative things happen and there there's moments of beauty definitely in it and I'm trying to take advantage of those. Mm-hmm more frequently but yeah I mean I just feel like the times that we're in are very they're very serious and like they're very clarifying like you will either be on the right side of history or you just freaking you won't yeah well these are not boring times and you can choose to not be boring also like and you can be a part of that yeah I mean, I mean that's that's the space that we're in. Yeah. You know that that's as, as much as people want to feel yeah. some sense of normalcy. It's really yeah. my one of my greatest one of my greatest heroes is my grandma, who was like a big advocate during the AIDS movement and like big member of the church and like a lot of opposition to her mm-hmm. having people stay in her house and like going and visit and like taking care of them at the hospital. My grandpa, who like started the hospital in like this small town and like them saying like no this is our stance on this Mm. issue I don't care if they are gay or drug users and like now I love her my grandma is oh my god she's just the sweetest tiniest woman and she's just such a powerhouse still and she is like her spirit will never ever die because of who she has been and all the things she has done and how like, that is, that is a small part of all of the many things that mm-hmm. she's done, and all of the people who she saved, and the people that she's taken care of, and that impact on me. And it's like, this is ours. This is our chance to do that. It's gonna, it's gonna last a fucking long time. <laughs> so, like, get on board, because it's a long walk otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I did it. Yeah, it really took talking to some elders for me to realize that my work is, like, history making, yeah. like, that th- I've done things in my life, literally, that have affected the course of history, which yeah. is, like, pretty, pretty amazing, but, yeah, I, I mean, I've always grown up to, like, I don't know if you'll feel the same way, but I feel like I don't there to. were, there were, there were <laughs> certain, so I grew up Christian, and there were certain Christians that I knew, very, very few of them, but there were certain Christians that I knew that there was just, like, a feeling about them that felt so, like, divine and Christ-like. Sure. And felt so... I don't even know how to explain it, but a lot of the Christianity that I was in was, like, very, very much of a hierarchy of you always trying to become more and more saved. And these people, like, were so not that, but they just, like, sort of radiated this, like... I don't know, this grace and this holiness and this humility that I, like, from a very young age that I was attracted to. Mm. And I couldn't describe it or anything, but just as, like, yeah, feeling like I, like, those people just, I had no words, but it just, I felt Christ from them. Like, that was it. And so I've always, like, <laughs> aspired to being one of those people. Yeah. Even though I don't, I don't think there's, like, a 12-step program to no. being one of those people. But I think... I think that's like, yeah, one of one of the things that I draw strength from, and like one of my markers is like 
how am I constantly trying to continue growing myself and moving myself that maybe possibly might like at the end of my life when I'm very old I might be for someone you know that person that sort of just radiates Christ and it's a I feel like it's a it's definitely a conflict for people who know anything about my work because you've got like the Christian lady over here and the like radical like fuck the white gays like go on Fox News Donald Trump has tweeted about her, like, <laughs> you know, black girl. And for a lot of people, those are, like, those two things can't exist yeah. at the same time. But that's just, like, me. That's how yeah, I'm, like, I'm, I'm complex. I'm a lot of things. Yeah. yeah, man. I totally am. And so this is definitely, like, not life as I imagined it at all. Mm-hmm. That's um, good. Could you imagine life as you imagine it? I don't know. I low-key think it might be better. <laughs> like, low-key, like, my... <laughs> Be calmer. Probably less I mean, it'd probably be chill. More money. Yeah. Like, I could do, actually, I actually feel like I can do that life. And that's, that's been a thing that I've thought about, too, is people have been like, oh, because, I mean, it's funny, I feel like something happens and you incur, like, initial trauma. And mm-hmm. then what I've learned from my BLM work is that, um, like, I'm still paying for work that I did two years ago mm-hmm. in certain ways, like, yeah. emotionally and spiritually. And in terms of my mental health or whatever. Yeah. And so people are always like, well, would you have done again? I'm like, you know what? Had I, if I knew what I knew now, I probably would not have done Mm. most of the work that I did in BLM because when I entered into those spaces, I did not realize like what the sacrifice, like what the cost would be. And I'm not naive enough to say that I would be so brave as to take this head on. But. Thank God for a little naivety. <laughs> right? Yeah. And now I'm just like, yeah, I'm low-key, like, resentful. <laughs> also, too, sure. in my most honest moments of, like... Sure. I mean, hmm. I look back and, like, you know, I worked for a long... Or a long... Like, fucking in my 20s. That's long. <laughs> uh, I the whole for, year. <laughs> I worked for a bit. I worked for some... There were a number of years uh, where I was working in mental health and working, like, specifically for, like, just a year, like... One spot, I was like, I'm going to work in at-risk youth. I'm going to, like, this is a population that I really, like, care about and, like, I want to be a part of. And, uh, anyways, this is this is too long of a story. But the, the thing, like, going into that and experiencing that trauma and really finding myself in a system that was not set up to take these kids out of said system mm-hmm. and realizing that I was just a part of something that I didn't believe in. And, like, having to find, like, say, like, I'm equal parts, like, another person abandoning these kids. But also, I think it's the right thing to do because this, I can't support the thing. And I can't do anything from in here. So, I have to do something else. And, like, leaving that space and being like, would I ever go back and do that? No, but, like, I'm really, like... Although there's a lot of trauma that I'm still carrying from that, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of debt that I'm still carrying from that, um, you know, like, I'm like, this is informative, and it's who I am, and I don't really know if that I believe in, like, alternate universe. Well, I do believe in alternate universe, but I don't <laughs> think that that's a thing Flash that, like, point. yeah, it's a little side thing there. Uh, I don't think that, like, that really matters. Like, that doesn't matter at right. the end of the day. It's like, well, I'm going to keep going forward. Well, and yeah, and I am a strong believer in that, yeah, we're guided by our principles and our values, and, you know, a lot of it is just about being 
ready to respond because your context may and will change. Sure. You know, I may not be called to do anything high risk, high level. I would love it actually if that was the case. Right. Like that would be dope. Like <laughs> next day, Trump just like comes on the mic. Listen, my bad. I I was wrong. Uh, we got some new folks. They're pretty grassroots. They're coming in <laughs> to take my place. I'm gonna leave them some cash and go. We're gonna. <laughs> and then it just like it just starts at the ground and like like that's these things are not going to happen. <laughs> but you know. Well, and stuff you just don't know. You, don't you just don't know what where we really don't know where our lives are going for them yeah. for the most part. And so for me, it's been more important to just keep on cultivating the type of person sure. that I want to be. And then having that guide me into responding in the places that I go. And what that's meant is that I end up, I've been, all the things that I've done in the last few years are not things that I set out or intended to do. And, like, none of them make any sense. But I was prepared for them sort of in those moments. And I'm prepared and I'm preparing myself now by being a person that says, okay, my context may change, but who I want to be right like the 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 type of person i'm striving for it ha- bears some what consistency whether i'm my context is that i need to go make copies or that i need to go yell at a really powerful old white man for mm-hmm. the world to see like you know sure. what i mean just being able to respond i think sometimes we get too caught up in the actual specific actions yeah of what we're going to do rather than just having a just, willing spirit yeah like, and just knowing your truth saying yeah. yes to things will lead you to down a deep dark yeah. hole yeah. i've learned deep <laughs> deep dark <laughs> yeah so i've had i've had a little bit of an uh since the burning action i've had a little bit of an underground time in my life where i thought okay maybe this is when things like calm down for me now um and that's clearly just not true now that we're going in so i don't know what the next phase is for me but i do know that i clearly have a role in it and mm-hmm. that People are influenced by the work that I do, and I need to just prepare myself to be the best kind of person I want to be to be able to respond however I need to respond in yeah. the moment. And so. I think you're pretty badass. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel that way most days. But. Right. I mean, who feels that way? If you felt that way, you'd be kind of a dick, probably. <laughs> My friends are like, you do so many cool things. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm just it's all I, you know I'm just eating cheese at home right now <laughs> yeah but that's cool too yeah well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just like talking yeah, I could yeah. talk to you like this for a really long time <laughs> like a really long time I really appreciate like just hanging out with you yeah yeah no problem so I mean we can keep doing it after I turn off this no that's fine cool cheers yo <laughs> <laughs>